doing, food eaters? Welcome back to the Food Labels Revealed podcast, a home-based radio program that brings you up-to-date information about the processed food industry. I'm your host, Mel Weinstein, the self-effaced, self-professed prophet of processed foods. This is episode number 74. Well, it has been quite a long time since the last episode was published on April 30th of this year. Quite the sabbatical. I mentioned in that episode that I was facing a health challenge and needed to suspend the monthly publication of the podcast. In today's show, I will elaborate on the show's suspension, make some important announcements, read an excerpt from a new book, and for old time's sake, review a new offering from the fast food industry. So, to start with, I'll share with you why the podcast was suspended for six months. In mid-April, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That discovery quickly dropped me down a medical rabbit hole where I encountered one problem after another, saw the insides of several hospitals and emergency rooms, and was challenged to take down that disease. With the immediacy of my medical needs, I had no choice but to suspend the podcast since all my energy and attention was focused on my health at that time. However, that doesn't mean that I was sitting idle and twiddling my thumbs for the last six months. I needed a distraction to focus on for mental relief. In early 2020, I started work on a book about the fast food industry. It was based on data and information I had gathered for the podcast since 2016. In April, I was about two-thirds done with the book, so I decided to finish writing the book to take my mind off of my illness. The book is entitled, Fast Food Ingredients Revealed. What are you eating? Using data obtained from three iconic restaurant chains, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell, I explored every menu item and the ingredients in each one to answer the question that I always had in my mind. Were the ingredients in fast foods the same ones used in highly processed foods in the grocery store? Fortunately for me, unlike the vast majority of fast food chains, those restaurants publicly post the ingredients for most of their menu items. For one year, I tediously gathered, collated, and analyzed those ingredients. The central part of my book deals with that aspect of the project. Right now, though, I, I want to read you an excerpt from the introduction to the book, entitled, From Addict to Fanatic. A diet of mainly overprocessed and fast foods dominated my teenage years and well into my 20s. During that time, I was lucky not to suffer from obesity or diet-related illnesses, but I was certainly setting myself up for an unhealthy future. Regarding the relationship between personal health and diet, I got a big clue while in college in the late 1960s. I discovered that I had gastrointestinal issues with milk and milk-containing products like ice cream. As I later learned, the condition I had was lactose intolerance. But back then, that condition was not commonly talked about. Consequently, I stopped drinking milk, but I wasn't about to stop consuming some of my favorite foods, like dairy-laden desserts. It took another 10 years of intestinal distress 
to figure out the extent of my worsening problem and that I should stay away from lactose-containing foods. During the 1970s, I received BS and MS degrees in chemistry and later got interested in teaching chemistry at a community college. In my first teaching job, I had the opportunity to introduce a new course called Chemistry for the Consumer, a survey course for non-science majors that would help fulfill a student's science requirement. This was not a hardcore chemistry class, but a practical guide to understanding the workings of consumer products using basic chemical concepts. It was this textbook that opened my eyes and raised questions about the foods I was eating. There were chapters on food chemistry with explanations about the use of additives in food products. After that, I started to pay more attention to what I was eating, but nevertheless, I was still a junk food junkie. After 10 years of teaching low-level chemistry and math classes, I changed careers. In the 1990s, I was hired by a global company that manufactured industrial and food ingredients, most of which were derived from corn and soybeans. I worked as an analytical chemist where I qualitatively and quantitatively tested the company's numerous products, creating new methods of testing, and assisted research chemists in developing novel products and applications to garner new business from the company's many commercial customers. My real education in the food ingredient industry began at that time. Until then, I had no clue about the enormous efforts that went into creating new food ingredients. As I learned, those innovations involved multiple years of development and testing conducted by food technicians, application chemists, analytical chemists, and pilot plant technicians and engineers. To bring a new product to market costs millions of dollars, whether the product is successfully marketed or not. From my memory, there were more losers than winners. What really boggled my mind was learning about all the products and food ingredients that could be produced from commodity crops like soy and corn. For example, field corn could be broken down into oil, starch, fiber, and protein components, or these are gluten products. The starch could be deconstructed to produce numerous products like corn syrups, dextrose powder, fructose powder, and maltodextrins, or it could be chemically or physically changed to produce numerous modified starches. The corn syrups could be chemically manipulated to produce still more products, like the omnipresent junk food ingredient high fructose corn syrup, HFCS. And those products were just the conventional ones. The, the real money makers that the company sold were the value-added ingredients in which entirely new food ingredients were invented that provided unique properties for their customers' formulations. This is an ongoing process in food manufacturing companies, which, as we'll see, has led to a plethora of new food additives showing up on product labels. Why, you ask? Two reasons come to mind. One, the base commodities like corn and soybeans are abundant and cheap in the United States. And two, converting those cheap foodstuffs into something more valuable is very profitable for a food ingredient company. That's the end of the book excerpt. I hope you enjoyed that, that little taste. There's a whole lot more 
the launch date, both in Kindle ebook and paperback versions, is January 3rd. If you're interested, you can right now place a pre-order specifically for the Kindle version. I've priced the book at a reasonable $9.50 to make it accessible and affordable for most people. My primary goal is to get the book out in the world because I think the content is important. Of course, at the same time, it would be nice to recoup my expenses. To find the book, go to the Amazon website, search under the title Fast Food Ingredients Revealed, or under my name, or use the link in the show notes. At the Amazon page for the book, you can read the book description and a few other details, plus place a pre-order if you'd like. Thanks for your support. Now, also during this healing time, I got out of my comfort zone and created an FLR webpage. It has been a long time coming. The homepage can be found at www.foodlabelsrevealed.com. And a link to it is also listed in the show notes. The, The website will be a platform for all things related to the podcast and the book. Time for an announcement. Here's an exclusive bonus for FLR listeners to generate some buzz about the book. If you sign up by Saturday, December 3rd, 2022, I'll send you a free PDF of the book sometime in December. Just go to the contact page at the FLR website. Fill in the form with your real name and email under the comments section, write a request for the book, and then send the message. In exchange, all I ask of you is to write a sincere review at the Amazon webpage after the book launches in early January. Having completed that blatant self-promotion, let's go to the main topic for today's episode. In the past, I have often presented the worst of the worst new fast foods. Recently, I found a website called 13 Exciting New Fast Food Items Dropping This Week, published on November 15th. So from that list, I have chosen Wendy's Italian Mozzarella Triple Cheeseburger, available for a limited time only. Surprisingly, the nutritional data and ingredients in the sandwich are available at the Wendy's website. Let's start with a basic description of the menu item. Three quarters of a pound of fresh, never frozen beef topped with deep fried melty mozzarella, Asiago cheese, and rich marinara sauce, all on a garlic knot bun. Fried cheese doesn't get any better or bigger than this. When you look at this new Wendy's creation, what you see is a huge sandwich between two pretzel bun halves or three-quarter pound hamburgers separated by cheese slices. Atop of that pile is a really thick deep-fried mozzarella patty. The contents are slathered with marinara sauce. Let's get started with looking at the ingredients. Then, Then I'll examine the nutritional facts later. The sandwich consists of one, three hamburgers at a quarter pound each. Okay, each hamburger has two ingredients in it. Two, fried mozzarella cheese, which has 20 ingredients. 
3. Garlic Knot Bun, which has 32 ingredients. That's a lot for a bread. 4. Asiago Cheese has 4 ingredients. And finally, 5. The Marinara Sauce has 18 ingredients. The grand total for the ingredients in this sandwich is 76. Now, that may sound like a bunch of ingredients, but let's take a closer look. There are a number of repeats across the components of the sandwich. If I just count the unique ingredients, I come up with 50. So, 66% of the burger sandwich is composed of unique ingredients. I'm not going to go through 50 ingredients and put everyone to sleep, but suffice it to say, there are no surprising ingredients in this list. Nothing I haven't talked about before. Next, how many of these ingredients fall in the categories of non-processed or lightly processed versus moderately to extremely processed? It's those latter ingredients which will determine how industrialized this sandwich is. Okay, so for unprocessed or lightly processed ingredients, there are 22 of those. Moderately processed, 11. Highly processed, 3. And extremely processed, 14. In the book mentioned earlier, I, I have a glossary of fast food ingredients that are labeled moderately to extremely processed. So using that list, I easily categorized the ingredients in this monster burger. Plugging those numbers into a formula described in the book calculates a processed food index, or PFI for short, for this Wendy's dish. The range of values of the PFI is 0 to 100. The higher the number, the more industrialized the food is. That is, the further the food has traveled from its natural state. I arbitrarily assign the following ranges for the processed food index. So for lightly industrialized, 0 to 10. For moderately industrialized, 11 to 40. For highly industrialized, 41 to 70. And finally, for extremely industrialized, 71 to 100. The result for the Italian mozzarella triple cheeseburger was 35.4 which equates to a moderately industrialized product. This result was a little surprising to me since most of the fast foods I've examined generally fall in the highly industrialized or extremely industrialized categories. What redeems the Wendy's sandwich are the high number of unprocessed or lightly processed ingredients, such as the hamburger, milk, spices, herbs, water, and vegetables. So the triple burger, although not considered a health food by any means, fares pretty well as a processed food, better than most. Let's see how it does nutritionally. Let's start with the energy content. The calorie total in this sandwich is a whopping 1,420. On every nutrition facts label, you'll see that daily values, the percentage of nutrition provided for a given day, is based upon 2,000 calories. That number comes from the federal government and is rather arbitrary. The average female getting moderate exercise is supposed to consume, on average, 2,000 calories per day. However, we humans come in all varieties, tall and short, heavy and thin, 
slow metabolizers uh, versus fast metabolizers, athletes, and couch potatoes. So the 2,000 calories are just a gross estimate for the average American. But you really have to have a base point for the calculations on the nutritional label, so that's a good place to start. The 1,420 calories in the burger sandwich amounts to 71% of the daily requirement. Think about it. That one sandwich eaten in a single meal accounts for 71% of calorie intake. And that's without any sides like french fries or a beverage, not to mention uh, two other meals for the day. With this info, it's easy to see why people gain weight on a diet high in fast food. How about fat? The total fat grams in the sandwich are 91 or 3.3 ounces of fat. That's equal to 819 calories or 140% of the daily value. Worst yet, there are 40 grams of saturated fat, the kind that clogs your arteries, which is 200% of the daily value. Even worse than that, this sandwich offers 5 grams of trans fat, a heart disease promoter, which is 227% of the daily value. Yikes. Okay, how much cholesterol, the other heart disease contributor, does this sandwich provide? There are 225 milligrams, which is 75% of the daily value. That only leaves 75 for the rest of the foods eaten that day. The carb content is okay. At 65 grams, that's only 22% of the daily value. At 5 grams added sugar, that's an acceptable amount. Of course, most people who eat hamburgers aren't looking for a sweet taste. The other component of carbs is the fiber content. At 3 grams in the burger, the daily value of 12% is low. It's pretty much a given that most people who eat a lot of fast food don't get enough fiber in their diet, which can cause deleterious effects like bowel and colon diseases. As a triple cheeseburger, you would expect this sandwich to pack a lot of protein. We are not disappointed. There are 88 grams of protein, or 163% of the estimated daily value. Many people think that the more protein, the better, but like the Goldilocks meal, too little or too much is not good for you. There are numerous ways to estimate the optimal protein intake. One rule of thumb states that a body needs 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So if you weigh, say, 150 pounds, that equates to 68 kilograms. Multiplying 68 by 0.8 gives 54 grams of protein per day. So in most cases, the consumption of 88 grams of protein from this burger sandwich would put you over the top of your daily need. Lastly, sodium is another nutrient that most Americans get too much of, and it's related to hypertension or high blood pressure and cardio issues. There are 1,990 milligrams of sodium in this sandwich, which is 83% of the daily value, quite high. Eating two other meals and snacks that day could put you in the danger zone. To summarize, it's interesting to note that the Italian mozzarella triple cheeseburger doesn't look terrible from a processed food perspective, but it looks downright threatening to health when its nutritional content is taken into account. In the book, I raise this issue quite frequently. 
to get a true picture of the health quality of a food, we need to evaluate both the nutritional aspect and the degree of processing. One chapter of my book is devoted to reviewing research studies from various countries that show an adverse relationship between the consumption of ultra-processed foods and chronic life-threatening diseases. A diet high in junk foods and fast foods is associated with ill health. Hopefully in the future, food labeling will take into account not only the nutritional elements of the food, but the degree of processing to help consumers better evaluate what they're eating. That's all for today, food eaters. I hope you enjoyed the return of the podcast. I can't guarantee they'll be able to stick to the monthly schedule, but I'll do the best that I can. If you know others who would enjoy this podcast, please share the episode by sending the link in a text or by sharing it to your social media pages. Thanks for tuning in. I'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating at Apple or the iTunes store that will help spread the word about the show. If you have an Apple smartphone, bring up the podcast library and select the Food Labels Revealed podcast. Scroll down to the bottom until you see ratings and reviews, then click on Write a Review. If you don't have a streaming device, you can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. And that's at www.podbean.com. Or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. I can be reached at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Until later, remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is called Bright Wish, composed by Kevin McLeod.